Our New Testament lesson for today comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, the third chapter, and I will begin reading at verse four. Listen for God's word to you this day. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this and have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. Holy wisdom, holy word. Often when people tell the story of how they came to faith, how they find their way home to Christ, it is a story much like the hymn, Amazing Grace. I was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I already have come. And this is certainly a faith narrative that holds much power and integrity for many of us. But in the verses that we just read from Philippians, Paul the Apostle tells his own story, which is quite counter to this typical faith testimony. Paul might have actually seen as sort of a braggadocious. He launches into his own identity as a good Jew, circumcised on the eighth day, part of the people of Israel and the lofty tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, blameless under the law. He packs in credentials and proudly exhibits them as he describes himself zealous for God as he persecuted the church. Yes, he lays out this lofty pedigree for the Philippians, and why would he do this? 
Wouldn't you think he'd be ashamed, particularly of the last point of persecuting the church? What we don't see here is that the church at Philippi was in a very fancy Gold Coast kind of place. It was a Roman city where Paul planted a church, actually the first church on European soil. And this was an evolved church in a setting of heightened class consciousness. The place was one where there was an imperial cult, coins, statues, processions, games, feasts, inscriptions bespoke the cult of an emperor. Caesar Augustus was their savior and Lord. So knowing that, we all can see what Paul is doing here. He's laying out his own background in a very credential conscious context to a sophisticated faith community where Paul's missionary journeys planted churches in a very different place from the places Jesus spent most of his time engaging, which were farmlands and fishing villages. But actually, this is not the end of the story, but the beginning. We can imagine the church at Philippi reading this letter from Paul, nodding their heads, ready to let anyone know that this faith that they were inhabiting, that was seemingly a backwards faith of a peasant King Jesus from Palestine, that their own founder, Paul, has it together. He has moved in important circles. He knows his way around. It's great to associate with him. But this is only momentary in this letter because Paul makes a quick move from laying out his credentials to a very moving and high stakes challenge. He states that all that he has built his life on, from infancy to the moment on the Damascus Road, all he had gained, he counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Yes, it's all loss, it's rubbish, it's dung, which is the real translation, compared with knowing Christ. And this radical upending of life itself a radical reordering coming into an intimate engagement with the living Christ is at the core of what Paul is saying here. His credential is knowing Christ, and all else is compared as loss. It is a lost and found story, but one built on Christ. Paul recounts being found by Christ on the Damascus Road. You remember the story where he encounter, hears the word of Christ and he is blinded. Paul stumbles to Damascus and after three days with scales over his eyes, Jesus sends a messenger, Ananias, to minister to Saul. And upon entering the house where Saul was, Ananias lays hands on him and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road which you just came, has sent me to help you regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the scales fell, and Paul regained his sight, and he began the most awakening, jarring, soul-engaging life. Paul was found by Christ, and Paul came home to a new identity. 
It's almost like someone is saying, Brother Paul, welcome home. What would it be like if our faith community had a powerful conversion experience coming fully home to Christ? What would your life together be like if we began where Paul did, with our identity shaped by a clear commitment to tradition, unashamed of the place where we've been? We have a remarkable history as a congregation. We've weathered many fires, both literally and figuratively, in our life together. We found our life here within the city of Chicago, planted here on the corner of Michigan Avenue and Chestnut, Delaware, drawing into this place some of the civic and cultural and education and business leaders of our city. We have engaged some of the most pressing issues of life. And every one of us has a part this day as we contribute as a congregation to the feeding, clothing, supporting children, young and older adults, educating, building community for those who may feel lost and lonely and simply in need of fellowship and community. And the vision that continues to shine out of our partnership in Mission Chicago Lights is remarkable. And all of this is only for starters. Yes, we can be proud of our tradition, our robust history, and there are very many of you in this room today and online who remember and have been shaped by this. And we are also living at a time in history where there is a sea change, a coming unstuck of all we thought was certain and reliable. Yes, as we shift our gaze to the future, we honor all that lies behind, and we look ahead to what the Apostle Paul describes as the race before us. We are called to fix our gaze on the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. And as we fix our gaze, our feet start to move, and the reality is that the race involves pressing and stretching and pushing and straining, temples pounding, heart pumping, mu muscles aching. And I hear some of you saying, okay, Forster Smith, that's for the young. And at many levels, that's true. But we are propelled in this race by the magnificent power of God in Jesus Christ. And all of this, and I mean all of this, is centered not in achievement or competition or trappings that have a hold on us, but in knowing Christ. One of the ways we know Christ is to pay attention to how and where Jesus is showing up in our life together here at Forth. For the past nine months, every Thursday afternoon at 4 p.m., a small group of dedicated church members have gathered with a couple staff members to listen, lean, learn, and search for Christ as we've considered what God is calling us to do in our long-range plan for Fourth Church. We've launched into listening to some 650 of you who sent your responses to a survey and had conversations with our consultants about our life here at Fourth. 
we've leaned into realizing that you deeply care about our life together, and indeed you are an opinionated bunch. And I think this has to do with your depth of commitment and the deep care of having your eyes on knowing Jesus. You've told us that you were lonely and that you're longing to know each other. You want to belong. You sustain your membership in this church because you believe that God's word through preaching and music and the beauty of this space and the joy of human engagement is alive in this place. You have a passion for justice, for racial equity, for full inclusion of our GLBTQIA community, for a prophetic word that shakes us from our complacency and helplessness, and you long for a community that takes faith so seriously that we reach for a stirring, soul-enlivening formation of our faith. And you are waiting for God's next move, God's joyous, enlivening, loneliness-shattering community that will build on our tradition and look to God's future by stepping up in faith. You are calling us to a home church that is radically intergenerational, composed of mentors and peers and little ones and ancient ones, and even, yes, the blessing of our pets. And there's something in the constellation of this home base that includes generations, legacy, storytelling, familiarity, family. Sometimes we think we're going it alone in our work here at Forth. We're a large, prominent congregation, and there's some pressure to look perfect, to have it together, to never show weakness or vulnerability. And sometimes our polity even gets in the way, all that decently and in order way of engaging. But I'm convinced that we've really just begun, that our call is to take some risks for the gospel, to know Jesus in his fullness, which means that we know the joy of the light shining out of his face, and also we join in an unflinching look at a world that is so in need of God's grace and God's mercy and our hands. To know Jesus in his fullness, as the Apostle Paul put on his running shoes to investigate, is to dare to live with hearty abandon, trusting, trusting that this very community welcomes each and every one of us. And as we launch into our stewardship season, you're asked to contribute, yes, financially, of course, from your means, but also contribute your time and talent, which you may have buried long ago. Dig it up, my friends, and contribute your time and talent as well as your treasure to this congregation. As I was thinking about preaching this sermon this week, a package came in the mail to me. It was from a friend that I haven't heard from for many years, and when I opened the package, a book fell out entitled Wild Idea. I quickly realized that this was from my Presbyterian clergy brother, Fritz, and sort of was his magnum opus, the story of his own life's project. 
It told of his dream of buying a farm up in the Pacific Northwest and creating a learning community that would explore earth and spirit and future. It narrates the vision of a community of eco-pioneers who decided to take a risk along with Fritz, who's a Presbyterian pastor, to walk the way of God's abundant spirit people. And as I read the introduction, I was inspired by these words. Fritz says, I wanted to convey the picture of this organization, the Whidbey Institute, as a chalice. We have sought to be a carrier of the sacred regard for the earth and a bearer of regenerative power. I hope that our passion is evident. We've worked together with strong conviction with the earth in mind. We've sought to be loving friends. We are working to be more inclusive and we have arrived at a place of new beginnings. And I love what he says, and I think it has a lot to do with our life together here in Chicago. I love his image of the chalice, a holy vessel. And I believe Fourth Church has been blessed in this way. I love the passion, the inclusivity, and especially a recognition like Paul, the apostles call to the church in Philippi, that when we run the, pray, the race, we are always arriving at a new beginning. This place, Fourth Presbyterian Church, is, I'm convinced, a holy vessel of love. It is a place that knows Christ. And our call is to offer the chalice of blessing to one another, offering the generous chalice of hope to this community and each other and to this world, and seeking to know Jesus through our witness to each other here in God's home and our witness to this community through the hands we extend. We're called to strain toward the prize, and this is God's astonishing call to us for such a time as this. Let it be so. Amen. <laughs>